Thanks, Sam. Good morning, everyone. Thanks, Daniel. This is Brad Bergfalk. And his name runs off the tongue. It's easy. Bergfalk. It's pretty easy. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> you don't know the grief that I've grown, grown up with with that name. I'm sure I, I hit all cylinders there. Um, so, Brad, we're going to do a little interview, just kind of chit-chat. Um, but really, you're talking to them. I'm just facilitating all of their questions to you. And I'm going to try to be really nice. <laughs> There's a reason they asked me to do this. No. Um, so, could you please talk about, from the time of your birth um, till your middle school days, high school, no, just could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm... Uh... I am a Pacific Northwest boy. I was born and raised in Seattle. Uh, grew up there, went to college there, Seattle Pacific University, if, if any of you know about that place. And my wife, Roxy, who's sitting right over here, and she is, uh, she is a Pacific Northwesterner as well from Vancouver, British Columbia, which means she's a Canadian. So, um, you know, if you want to talk football with her, you're going to have to talk Canadian rules football, because that's what she knows. Um, I, uh, after college, went to seminary and followed a calling into ministry that resulted in my becoming an ordained covenant pastor. Um, I, I hesitate to tell you how long ago this was, but it was actually in the late 80s. And I have been a pastor uh, for the most part ever since. And, uh, you know, I did the, I did the path that, that is pretty typical for pastors where, you know, you serve well in a church and another opportunity comes along and you get, uh, you get called to, to, to go to that place. And, and, and everything was clicking along really wonderful until I, I got to a, a congregation where my life kind of came off the rails. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. Uh, I suspect it has. But... Um, at that point, I was, I, I was ready to leave pastoral ministry, and I actually said to God, uh, 20 years, is, you've had 20 years of my life, that's enough. Um, I want to be able to go get a job so I can buy any kind of car I want. Sounds like a good plan. Yeah, the motivation was really... <laughs> anyway, so here I am struggling a little bit with my my life. I'm suffering from uh, depression because of the monumental sort of episodic things that had taken place. And, and uh, as part of my therapeutic healing, I went hiking every day in the Pacific Northwest. So I hiked up a, a mountain called Tiger Mountain. And I have a number of really good friends that uh, hiked that route with me many, many times. And uh, one day as I was hiking up that mountain and pondering life, I received a phone call from the superintendent of the, uh, at the time, the Pacific Northwest Conference, and he, and he said, uh, Brad, are you ready to go back into the ministry? I got a church for you. And I said, you know, Mark, uh, um, I'm not sure if you kind of caught what I said the last time we talked, but I'm not interested in being a pastor anymore. You wanted the car. Yeah, I, wa I, I want the kind of car that you drive. <laughs> um, and uh, he goes, well, can I just tell you where it is? And... I said, yeah, okay, you can tell me where it is. And it happened, it was Pine Lake Covenant Church, which is a, a, a very similar, a large church in a suburban Seattle area. And it happened to be the church where we were attending because even though I had, um, I was ready to walk away from pastoral ministry at that point, we still attended church every Sunday because I knew if, if I didn't stay somehow connected to the church in this really um, significant transition in my life, you know, maybe I wouldn't, you know, maybe, maybe I'd... Do, do something else, do something dramatic, I don't know. And he told me it was the church that we were going to, and I said, well, uh, let me think about it, but I, I, if I decide to consider this church, what, what, do you, what do you want me to do? And he goes, we need you to be the interim there, because the senior pastor's leaving, who was and is one of my best friends in, in, in the ministry. And uh, <clears throat> so long story short, I said yes to this opportunity, 
and I don't know what I was thinking. You know, at the time, I didn't know what I was thinking. And, and uh, the, I remember the very first Sunday that I stood up in the congregation. I, we sat kind of over on the side. Actually, it was on that side. And we had been worshiping there for some time. So I was a fairly comfortable place for me to sit. But on this particular Sunday, my first Sunday being introduced as the new uh, interim pastor, they said, uh, Pastor Brad, would you come up? And, you know, we'd like to introduce you, kind of like what we're doing now. And then, and then of course, I preached. And... Uh, so I, I could feel myself getting anxious as I was sitting there going, I haven't, I haven't preached in like eight months, and I didn't have any confidence, and I, and I was bruised, and I was, I was broken, and I was ready to do something else. But for some reason, God, through this church, called me to be their interim pastor. So as I walked up there, I got to the podium, I placed my, my sermon notes on the podium, and as I looked up, I said, hi, I'm Brad. And I could see out of the bottom of my glasses, my entire sermon kind of float off the podium onto the floor. And I scrambled quickly to pick them up and put them in order. And I looked at the congregation and I said, this is every pastor's nightmare. And they just laughed. And that was the beginning of a significant healing. This church, uh, Pine Lake Church, uh, loved me back into my calling. I was a bruised, broken pastor. So at that moment, I made a promise to God. And I said, God, if I have the opportunity to serve churches, especially churches that are bruised or broken or struggling or have come through difficult times, I'll do it. So three months ago, I received a phone call from a member of your leadership said, uh, can we talk? I was just coming to the end of an interim ministry uh, out in the Connecticut area. And I said, I'd be happy to talk with you. And, and you, know, you ever have those conversations where you know almost immediately that, that God's involved in this conversation. I, I mean, I, I don't know if the, the leadership felt that way, but I certainly did. I, I knew the moment that they began to tell me your story and said, hey, w would you be willing and consider coming? I knew. I, I knew. In fact, after the phone call was over, Roxy was kind of wandering around in our apartment, and she saw me on the phone. She said, hey, uh, when are we going to move? <laughs> so... Here we, yesterday, dear. We moved yesterday. Uh, so that's kind of my story. I am committed to doing transitional ministry with, with churches that need uh, somebody who's not a perfect pastor, somebody who's experienced brokenness, bruised, and who's tried to run away. But at this point, I have no choice but to find myself captured by the calling that God has in my life. Yeah. The part you didn't say is, and maybe you did it on purpose, um, but that you applied for 158 jobs, right? And the Lord said no. He said no to the jobs. And yeah, I mean, that was, that was 2008. Do you remember what was going on in 2008? So here I am, a, a pastor looking for some other kind of work. It, you know, nobody's hiring anybody at that point. And, at any rate, so that, yeah, that, yeah. That, that was part of the movement of the spirit in that, yeah. in that process. Closed yeah. the doors on That's you right. in the car. Um, you, you got it. Good job. Um, you have a family. I do. And we have a picture here. Yes, this is my family. Um, I'm there on the left. And uh, sorry about the legs. I, it was a summer shot, so my, my apology. <laughs> Next to me is my, our, our oldest daughter, uh, her name is Kylie. She lives in um, Fredericton, New Brunswick. And uh, she, all of my children are, are dual citizen Americans and Canadians, but she's taken it so seriously that she's actually uh, living in Canada now and has a, has a job up there. Next to her is my oldest son, Brandon, and he lives and works in Omaha, Nebraska, which when we discovered that Omaha and Kansas City are like three hours away from each other, that was a big deal for us. <laughs> Um, and he works at the Nebraska Medical Center. Um, and my wife, of course, is next to him. And then on the end is our youngest son, Lars. He's uh, studying to be an electrician's 
apprentice and taking uh, uh, philosophy courses at the University of Nebraska. I don't know how you put those two things together, but he does it, so that's my family. This particular picture is really impo important to Roxy and me because when we had this taken last summer by some uh, lady that happened to be standing there at the hospital, because we had to go there because my son was working, um, this is the first time that we had been together in the same location as a family in just about, what, five years. So this is an important photo for us. And anyway. That's awesome. Um, so we've had a few conversations with staff. Um, you came and visit us in December during your really light season of Christmas. And, uh, um, and a few other times. And you have really talked about like what your hopes are for Hillcrest and have encouraged us as staff tremendously. So do you mind just sharing a little bit about that? You know, I, you know, I could tell right away when I met with the staff uh, the week before Christmas. Can you imagine that? I was, I was on a plane for 24 hours. Was it, maybe it was a little more. Maybe it was 30 hours. But, and I came out and met with your leaders, and, a, and ma many of you uh, uh, I, I met. And uh, I, I discerned immediately that this church, uh, even though you've been going through some challenging times and circumstances, and and you may still be carrying some pain and sadness and disappointment and maybe anger, that this church fundamentally is a good church with a strong history of ministry, with uh, a history of service and mission. Uh, you are resilient, and God is not done with you yet. And I don't know if I'm going to make any impact on that, but I'm going to do my best to help you find that, that sweet spot so that uh, you can get back on track and continue to be a witness and a, and a light in this community and around the world. I, I have no doubt in my mind that, that that's part of God's future for this church. I'll clap to that. So you and Roxy are going to have a little bit of a um, different type of living situation for a little bit and talk a little bit about that. And then how in, the, in this transition and um, through leading us, how can we support and be praying for you? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, well, um, my wife is a private home health care nurse, and she... Um, uh, early this year, maybe at the end of last year, uh, took on a client that she's caring for uh, 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 three times a week for 12 hours a day, who has just entered into hospice. And for those of you who don't know, that usually means that they're coming to the end of their life. And so when the church reached out to me and said, hey, we'd love to have you come out and be our, our interim lead pastor, and I said, great, you need to know my circumstances with Roxy are um, to honor her commitment to this woman to the end of her life. Roxy is going to continue to stay in Connecticut in our little apartment. And um, I'm going to, on every fourth week, I'm going to fly home to Connecticut and uh, I'll, I'll interact with the staff and whoever I need to electronically. And as soon as uh, her client um, um, passes away, then she will join me. And um, we, we don't know when that's going to be, but so you'll see me around here uh, for the first three weeks of the month, three Sundays, and then on that fourth week and fourth Sunday, um, I will be away, but I will be certainly praying for you and, um, and uh, looking forward to come, come back at the uh, beginning of the following week. So that, those are our circumstances, and I wish I could tell you uh, exactly how long that's going to be, but as all of you know, you can't predict these kinds of things. And how can we pray for you? I pray, I want you to pray for me that I have wisdom to come into this place and stay out of the way and do uh, support the staff, guide the leaders, uh, love this congregation to the best of my ability and not mess it up. That's, that's my prayer every time I go to a church, actually. And the other thing I pray for is that you would give me discernment because I think it's a little different when you kind of hit the ground as an interim pastor, short period. I mean, think about it like this. I, I already know that I'm fired the, the moment I get here. 
How weird is that, right? So uh, there are certain things that I want to do to help you process change and process it well. And so I want to be discerning about that and what that might mean in terms of any kinds of uh, decisions that might need to be made here. So wisdom and discernment, if I can get a, a boatload of those in the next few months, I would be most grateful. That's great. And I forgot to ask this question, and it's what everyone's wanting to know. Yes. So you've talked about Seattle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what's coming. Uh-huh. And you've talked about New England. Mm-hmm. And we played the 49ers, Mm -hmm. and I'm a West Coast girl, so Mm -hmm. I get it. Mm -hmm. Being here for five years, though, it's like I'm a Kansas Cityan. And so when you're watching the Super Bowl, what was going through your head? Were you like, 49ers? Because that would would mean something. I hadn't been... I hadn't been... uh, I hadn't been invited to be your interim pastor yet, okay? Just as a caveat. (laughs) But I had a pretty good uh, idea that I was going to be here. And, um, yeah, Seattle has a pretty good team. They have a really um, quality quarterback. And it would be real hard for me if Seattle and Kansas City played. Uh, the Patriots, I don't care. You know, their quarterback, they've won too many games. Their quarterback's going someplace else anyway. It doesn't matter. You know what? I think I can probably be a Kansas City fan. I think I can. They clapped for you on that. <laughs> did, did I answer that okay? Uh, you did good. Oh, okay. That was good. That was good. We got him a, a little bit of Kansas City swag. I didn't bring it up here, but I did bring up this prayer shawl. And shawl. Gosh, if I could say it right. And the prayer ladies made this for you, Roxy, as you go back and forth. So if you wouldn't mind coming up, and I'll um, hand it to you, and then we'll pray over them. And if you could extend your hand um, out, that would be great. God, we just thank you for Brad and Roxy and who you've made them to be. Lord, how you've called them into a specific ministry. God, both of them in their individual calls, Lord. And so we, um, we pray for this transition for both of them. Lord, as they're away and as Brad is discerning and um, encouraging and um, doing all of the work that you've called him to do here, Lord, we do lift up the same for Roxy and the work that she does um, with her um, dear friend, Lord. So God, we um, ask for wisdom and discernment for both of them, and we just pray that they would feel encouraged and at home um, here in Prairie Village, Kansas, with us, Lord. God, go before them, um, and Lord, would we lean into what you have here for us? It's in your name. Amen. Hey, can we put that picture of Brad back up again? It's probably not good to take a shot at the new pastor on his first day, but I'm pretty confident that Brad applied for 158 jobs. I believe that's true. And I think he probably got one of the jobs and that was probably a glamour shots. Um, wouldn't you think, wouldn't you think Brad went to the local mall when he got desperate and got some glamour shots done? Um, I mean, that, I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe, possibly. Roxy, yes. Yeah, he did. Okay, we know we got it. Perfect. Perfect. Anyways, it is great to be with you um, this morning. My name is Nate Severson, and I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And um, I've actually been away for the last couple of weeks, and it has felt like I've been here. Even though I've been away, um, my family was on vacation, and we found a local Starbucks and logged in, and we were watching online. And then last week, I had the privilege of being up in Wisconsin at a retreat for our denomination. And actually, that was kind of a crazy place, because the retreat was at this old army base, um, that was built around when the Cold War was happening, and they were like, they had all these radar machines to monitor Russia if they're going to be sending atomic bombs our way, um, and, and all this stuff. And the chapel was actually um, the atomic bomb shelter, just in case an atomic bomb came. And so, yes, last week was weird. I was sitting in this shelter, bomb shelter, um, as I was watching Melvin bring the noise, the heat. Man, wow, it was so cool. But I, I want you to hear this is that I felt, when I say I feel like I was right here with you, it's because the Holy Spirit was so thick in this place and so moving in this place 
that it was just, it was unbelievable. Um, I almost actually, I didn't say this in first service, I almost missed my chance, like I had to speak that morning last, last Sunday, and I almost missed my opportunity to go speak because I was so locked in to what Melvin was talking about, and it was awesome, him with his tambourine and just doing his thing, and, and his pink sweater, you know, like, I, we all need pink sweaters, right? Like, I don't know if you own a pink sweater, I, my senior picture was taken in a hot pink sweater uh, with a mullet, it was great. Um, so maybe we need to have a pink sweater day someday, Brad, just a thought, it might help bring more healing, just pink sweaters, possibly, or it might just be awkward and weird. But anyways, I just, I want you to hear that the Holy Spirit is doing amazing things in this place. And it's been hard, we acknowledge that. But isn't that what God oftentimes does the most work in our life is not when things are easy and when, when, when the waves are, are still, but it's when things get a little bit difficult or really difficult and we, we don't get to rely on the tricks that kind of got us through things. We, we have to look to the Lord and say, okay, Lord, man, if you don't show up, I don't know how we're going to make it. And this morning, um, we're going we're gonna to get into a, a really fun verse and we're going to look at one verse this morning. Um, but I want, I want to start off by sharing a story that hopefully can be a metaphor for our lives um, and, and, and something that will kind of uh, launch us into this conversation. So there's a, a famous violinist by the name of Isaac Perlman. Maybe a lot of you have heard Isaac before. Maybe you've seen him in concert. Um, but Isaac is a famous violinist. And in 1995, November 18th specifically, 1995, um, Isaac was performing at the Lincoln Center in New York City. And um, Isaac grew up since he was a child with polio. And because he had polio, when he would start his concerts, he would come out from backstage and he had braces on his legs and he had crutches and he would slowly wake, work his way across the stage. And then he would sit down in his chair, grab his violin, he would cue the conductor of the orchestra to start playing or start conducting the orchestra. And then he would start playing his violin. And it was just always beautiful and always amazing. Well, on this day, November 18th, 1995, when Isaac sat down and he started playing his violin, something unexpected happened. The string broke. Okay, the string broke on his violin. And, and it, it was it, clearly his mic was, or his, his violin was, was mic'd up. And, and so it caused this big stir amongst the people. So much so that the orchestra stopped playing and, and everybody's eyes were focused on Isaac, wondering, okay, what is going to happen next? And at that moment, Isaac, instead of putting his braces back on, getting his crutches, walking back across the stage to fix the problem, he just closed his eyes. And he started playing with three strings. And, and the orchestra started playing along with him. And instead of the concert going back to the way it was supposed to be, Isaac made beautiful music with his violin with three strings. And when the concert got done, the whole crowd stood up and they cheered and they went crazy. Which, Brad, by the way, that's what people do here when you get them preaching. They stand up and they go crazy. So I'm sure just be, be ready for that. Um, he wrote it in his contract, actually. If they don't do that, I'm out. So let's remember that next week when he preaches. But the crowd went nuts. They went crazy because like, there was this circumstance that seemed like it was going to be really hard and difficult that Isaac made into this beautiful symphony. And it was incredible. And while people were cheering, Isaac raised his hand. And he said these words. He said, you know, sometimes it is the artist's task to find out how much music you can still make with what you have left. You know, sometimes it is the artist's task to find out how much music you still have or still can, you, that you can still make with what you have left. You know, in many ways, this story and this quote represents your life and my life. It represents our stories. Because I'm certain, I'm certain that in our lives, there are things that are going to happen that don't go as planned. I am certain that there are things that are going to happen today they're going to trip us up. And I'm certain 
that like me and like Brad shared, we all have things in our life that are broken, that need to be fixed. And I think in our lives, when we come to the place where we can own the fact that we're broken people, when we can own the fact that we fall short, it's in those moments that I think God starts looking at us and he starts going, okay, now let's go to work. Let's go to work. You know, Melvin was here last week and one of my favorite things about Freedom Covenant, when we get together, it's literally, besides preaching here, it's my favorite place in the world to preach. And partly it's because of what Melvin says every time I preach there. He says, you know, Nate, you know what's awesome about Freedom Covenant? Everybody here that comes here, they all know they're broken. Nobody can put on a show. Nobody can pretend like they got it all figured out and they got it all together. And so because of that, we can do some work. And Hillcrest, we are all people in desperate need of the Lord to step in to our brokenness, to make something beautiful with the life that we have. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a beautiful verse from the book of Colossians. And this verse is wonderful because I believe this verse can speak to you and it can speak to me. I believe it can speak to all of us. I believe it can speak to our church. I think it can speak to the world if we take this verse and put it into what? Into practice. And the verse is from the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verse 17. And I'm going to read the passage to us, and then I want to just kind of talk a little bit about some, some key parts of this verse. And then we're going to close our time by talking about five tips that I believe can help us put this verse into practice. Because how cool would it be if you and I hear these words and we trust the Holy Spirit to enter into these words and to help us with the next step we take. We talk about this all the time. Scripture says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet. Right? It's not a floodlight that tells you what's going to happen 10 miles down the road. It's a lamp unto our feet. And when we look at this verse and we pray, Holy Spirit, let this verse be a lamp unto our feet, it's going to help us know how to navigate life when we know we're all broken people. So in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, it says this, just one simple verse. In everything you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks and praise to our Father in heaven. In everything, in whatever you do, in whatever, think about that, in whatever you do. Is there anything that you're going to do, if I can, I'm, I'm not really trying to insult your intelligence, but whatever means whatever, right? There isn't one thing you're going to do today that doesn't fit within the category of what? Whatever. And it says, whatever you do, in word, so or mouth, or deed, do 50% of it unto the Lord. No, it doesn't say that, does it? Whatever you do in word or deed, do it what? Say it all with me. All. Do it all. The way you and I navigate our life, every moment, every second of our life, Scripture says, do it all unto the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks and praise to our Father in heaven. So I want to pray, and then we're going to dive into this text and talk about some real practical things that I believe can not only change your life, but change my life as well. And we're not just here to change our lives. Man, we want to make a difference for the kingdom. So when we walk out of here, every step we take, God's going to be there and he's going to be working. So pray with me. Jesus, thank you so much for this text. And Lord, as we dive into this text, Lord, as we open up your word, as we hear from your word, God, I pray that you would make us alive. God, that you would that you would literally like give us pictures and ideas of what this is actually going to look like in the context of where you have planted us. God, that you would give us wisdom on how to take those steps. God, that you would give us the strength that we might do this with all our heart. God, we pray this all in your name.
Amen. So the text starts by saying, whatever you do in word or deed. You see, in the New Testament, words and actions in the name of Jesus assume that the person is acting or speaking as if they were literally in the presence of Jesus. We're talking about letting the name of Jesus motivate everything about who we are. Every bit of our being, we are praying that Jesus invades those spaces. So how we speak and how we act reflect him. Hilchrist, this is an incredible truth that isn't just true today, it's true for eternity. You can apply this verse to every situation you will ever be in the rest of your life. See, Paul says, let this principle inspire the way you interact with people, how you make decisions. Let the name of Jesus motivate you. Let the name of Jesus guide you in your actions. Let the name of Jesus direct you in your words. Because in the long run and in the short run, you and I are going to look more and more like Jesus when this happens. We're going to be more pleasing in the way we live our lives, in the way we interact with people. And the kingdom of God is going to have so many parties, they're not going to know what to do with it. Right? I mean, isn't that what we want? I mean, think about it. Like, like Scripture says that every time someone gives their life to Jesus, all of party stops. All of party. All of heaven. You should be listening to me and catch that. All of heaven. All of heaven stops, and they celebrate that one person who has given their life to Jesus. Make that personal. When you gave your life to Jesus, do you know that I'm guessing millions upon millions of people had a party in your honor because of the decision that you made to follow him with all your life? Think about that. How cool would it be if because Jesus starts working through you and whatever you do, there are parties in heaven because of it? That is the impact that the Lord wants to do in and through you. That you are responsible for parties in heaven, not because of anything great you've done, but because of what he has done. You see, Hillcrest, whatever literally means what? Whatever. There's nothing that you will ever do or say that doesn't fit in that category. The text goes on to say, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't do it all in your name. It's not about you. It's not about me. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when Paul says, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's saying, if what we are planning to do or say can't stand the test of Jesus' presence and approval without being embarrassed or being inappropriate, we shouldn't do it. Like, this is actually a great filter for all of us. When we speak, when we do things, if we ask the question, what would Jesus want us to say in this moment? What would Jesus want us to do in this moment? It's actually this filter that helps us live life and live life to the fullest. And then the last part of this verse asks us in all our words and deeds to act in a way that gives thanks to God the Father through him. Giving thanks to our Lord, giving thanks to our Father. It acknowledges that everything good comes from who? From him. So when there's a party in heaven, you're not the person that gets the credit, the Lord gets the credit. When you have the opportunity to share your love for Jesus with someone else and they trust their life to Jesus, it's about him. And we get to acknowledge the fact that he's the one who's at work. It represents a life that's lived with a humble gratitude. Man, if we can be humble people, that when we see God at work, we're like, whoa, 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 don't you even try to give me one ounce of credit. It's all about him. 
And we get out of the way and that's what people see. So what I'd love to do is I'd love to make this really practical for us. I want to share five tips that I think you and I, that will help you and I live a whatever kind of life with the next step that we take. And maybe you might hear these tips, you might go, man, I don't know if I can do all five of those. Hey, what if you just did one? What if you just did one? I bet if you just do one of these, it's going to help you and it's going to help me and it's going to help us make a difference for the kingdom. So the first tip to living a whatever kind of life is whatever kind of life remembers that you have everything in Christ. Now, for a lot of you in the room, you're like, heard that one before. Okay. Well, we need to hear it again. We need to hear this day after day after day. Uh, Whatever kind of life remembers that you and I have everything in Christ. Never forget that the greatest thing that you have is the fact that you are a child of God. So you don't need to study or perform or make friends or have tons of success in business in order to gain the happiness that you need in life. It's not that those things aren't necessarily important, but our true happiness in life comes from who? From him. And the reminder that we have everything we need because of him. We have it in Christ. Our motivation for what we like to do in life, our motivation for the activities, our job, um, being a student, whatever we do, our motivation is not so that those things would satisfy us. I love what 2 Peter 1.3 says, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Having everything in Christ means we get to love him supremely. It involves submitting to his character. It involves submitting to his commands and it involves his endless grace. When you say no to sin and you obey God, you're worshiping him. So if we have everything in Christ, Hillcrest, don't, feel, don't fear failure because you will be alive in Christ and be loved for an eternity. Tip number two. And whatever kind of life reminds us our attitudes matter to God. Our attitudes matter to God. God doesn't just look at your actions, but he also looks at the motivation behind those actions and your attitude that goes into it. Later in Colossians 3, verse 23, Paul says this, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. This says to work as if we are working for Jesus. Be grateful that you can be in school. Be grateful that you have a job, that you get to work. Be grateful that you get to stay at home with your family. Whatever your circumstances is in life, be grateful Be kind. Work hard because the Lord, he's our true master. God put you where you are right now for a reason. Middle school students, God put you here for a reason. High school students, you are where you are for a reason. Adults, you are here right now for a a reason. Wherever God has planted your feet, you are here for a reason. And it's not just to take up space. God wants to use you. So don't miss out on his purpose for what he has in store for you where you are. God has bigger plans for you being in the spaces that you're in. He wants to use you to do whatever in the circumstances where you are. And your attitude towards that will go a long ways in helping others see that that becomes a reality in their own life as well. Tip number three, a whatever kind of life never forgets where your power comes from. I love in 1 Kings 19, story of Elijah. Familiar passage to a lot of us, maybe new for some. But it says, the Lord said to Elijah, go and stand in front of me on the mountain and I will pass by you. Then a very strong wind blew 
It caused the mountains to break apart, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, there was a quiet, gentle voice. I love this picture of God's voice. That God wasn't in the roar and the noise. The voice of God came in a still, small voice. We think we have an idea oftentimes when God is going to speak and then he completely surprises us. Hillcrest, hear me when I say this. I want to challenge you and I want to challenge myself to find that spiritual mountain to hear God's still, still small voice. Find that spiritual mountain to hear God speak to you because his voice is all that matters. And don't make the mistake of thinking that maybe even the loudest voice is God's voice. Sometimes it is, but oftentimes, as we see in this text, it's not. I wonder how many times we miss out on what God might be saying to us because we're surrounded by so much noise. My challenge here is to turn off the noise that keeps our focus off of him so that we can hear his voice above all other voices trying to get our attention. Tip number four, a whatever kind of life doesn't mean that we need more. It just means we need enough. What will matter at the end of your life is not how much stuff that you have. It doesn't matter how much success you're going to have in school or in business or in life, in sports, whatever, like that stuff at the end of your life really doesn't matter. What really matters is did you love the Lord with all your heart? your soul and mind? Did you make him supreme in your life? Did you love others? I love this verse from Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8. It says, first, help me to never tell a lie. Second, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. Oh, Chris, we don't need more. We just need enough. Someone who desires a life, to live a life, a whatever kind of life. They're willing to do whatever it takes to be with Jesus, including hitting the off switch and just saying, Lord, I just want to be in your presence. I want to be with you. My prayer is that that truth would reign supreme here at Hillcrest. It's not about more. It's just about having enough. And tip number five last but not least, is a whatever kind of life always turns a when, not when, but a when, into a now. It turn, Turning your when into a now. And that sounds a little strange to say, but I think a lot of times when we live our lives, we're always looking into the future. We're making promises to God. And we're like, oh God, man, like when someday, when this happens, man, I'm going to trust you with all my life. Hey, God, when you bail me out of this situation, then, yeah, okay, we're, we're, we're arm in arm. And we always look into the future, making all these promises about when, 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 and God's looking at us, and he's saying, dude, oh, he, I don't know if he says dude, but he, he looks at us, and he says, listen, it's not about when, okay? It's not about when. It's about now. Quit making excuses. I think God says that to me all the time. Maybe he says it to you. Quit giving me all these excuses about when you're going to do that, and let's start with right now. Let's start with right now. I used to make all these excuses all the time about why I wasn't going to tell other people about why I love Jesus. And really, it was just hot air. And the Lord's like, no, I, don't, I want you to do it now. If this is truly not about you, Nate, then you need to trust my voice. Well, let's go now. I want to challenge us as a church to make that true about who we are. Don't just keep looking way into the future. What about right now? Where are your feet? Where are your feet planted? God wants to work now. He wants to work now through you, but he also wants to work now in you. Maybe there are things in your life that need to change. Maybe there are adjustments that you need to make. Maybe you've never said yes to following Jesus with all your life. I want to challenge you to make that decision to follow him now. To trust him with all your life now. Because I promise you, we could all get up. A lot of us in this room could stand up who could share you our stories 
about those of us that have said yes to Jesus. And I promise you that one of the common things that you're going to hear in all those stories is it was worth it. It was absolutely worth it. None of us would ever go back on that decision. Your relationship with God on earth, Rick Warren said one time in a book, Purpose Driven Life, he said your relationship with God on earth will determine your relationship when you die. Man, I want that relationship with him. That changes everything. Not just about who I'm going to be when I die, but it changes everything about who I am right now. Because my eternal life with Jesus doesn't start when I die. It starts right now. It starts in the way I interact with people. It starts with my relationship with him. And it's a wonderful, incredible thing. So before my mic blows up in my ear, <laughs> I want to read a closing story. And, and this, this is, it's kind of a tearjerker, actually, but, but I, I think this is a great story to end with because I think it helps us understand a little bit about the whatever kind of life. It's about the life of Ted Stollard. Ted Stollard undoubtedly qualifies as one of the least. He was turned off by school. He was very sloppy in his appearance. He was expressionless, unattractive. Even his teacher, Miss Thompson, she enjoyed bearing down her red pen and making messes all over his paper with big X's for the things that he did wrong. If only she had studied his records more carefully. Because this is what they read like. In first grade, Ted shows promise with his work and his attitude. But he has a really poor home situation. Second grade, Ted could do better. Mother seriously ill. Receives little help from home. Third grade, Ted is a good boy, but he's just too serious. He's a slow learner, and his mother passed away this year. Fourth grade, Ted is very slow, but he's well-behaved. His father shows no interest in him whatsoever. Christmas later arrives, and the children in Miss Thompson's class pile in with wrapped gifts, and they place them all on her teacher's desk. Ted brought one too. It was wrapped in brown paper and held together with scotch tape. Miss Thompson opened each gift as the children crowded around to watch. Out of Ted's package fell a gaudy rhinestone bracelet with half the stones missing and a bottle of cheap perfume. The children began to snicker, but she silenced them by splashing some of the perfume on her wrist and letting them smell it. And then she put the bracelet on as well. At the end of the day, after the, all the children had left, Ted came to Miss Thompson's desk, and he said, Miss Thompson, you smell like my mother, and the bracelet looks really pretty on you. I'm glad that you like my present. He left. Miss Thompson got down on her knees, and she asked God to forgive her, and to change her attitude. The next day, the children were greeted by a reformed and new teacher. One who was committed to loving each of them, especially the slow ones, especially Ted. Surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, Ted began to show great improvement in the classroom. He actually caught up with most of the students and even passed a few. Time came and went. Miss Thompson heard nothing from Ted for a long time. Then one day she received this note. Dear Miss Thompson, I wanted you to know, be the first to know, I will be graduating second in my class. Love, Ted. Four years later, another note arrived. Dear Miss Thompson, they just told me I would be graduating first in my class. I wanted you to be the first to know. The university has not been easy, but I liked it. Love, Ted. And four years later, dear Miss Thompson, as of today, I am Theodore Stollard, MD. How about that? I wanted you to be the first to know. Also, I'm getting married next month, the 27th to be exact. I wanted you to come and sit where my mother would sit if she were alive today. You are the only family I now have. My dad died last year. Miss Thompson attended the wedding. She sat where Ted's mother would have sat. 
the compassion she had shown this young man changed his life. She was a teacher who lived a whatever kind of life for the kingdom of God. And she got to see firsthand the rewards of living that kind of life. Hillcrest, let's have some real courage as we live our lives. As we're broken people, as we're trying to make beautiful music, if I can go back to our original story, as God is trying to speak and work through us, Let's not give them all these excuses of why it's not going to work or how it's not going to work. Let's just start with living a whatever kind of life. Because you never know. Maybe you become, maybe you're a Ted Staller. Or maybe God wants to use you like he used Miss Thompson. To speak deeply into someone's life. You see, you don't have to be a pastor like me. I don't have any different, uh, different calling than you have. God doesn't look at me and elevate me above the rest of you because I'm a pastor and a lot of you aren't. No, God looks at us all the same. Your call in life is to honor him. That's not based on your profession. It's not based on your job title, whether you're a student or whatever. Your call in life is to be a whatever kind of person. And so may we be faithful in living that out. And as the text said, May God get the glory and the honor that's due to him. Amen? Pray with me. Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. And Lord, I thank you so much for the ways that you work in our lives. God, you take broken people. Lord, you take messed up people. Lord, you take all of us. And you do things in us that we could never do on our own. God, as we are here together, Lord, I, I pray and I trust you. God, I trust you are speaking right now. God, I trust that every one of us in this room, there's something inside of us. Your Holy Spirit, Father, is working inside of us. God, help us to see clearly what that next step should look like. Give us the courage, whether we're a middle school student, a high school student, it doesn't matter. Look, give us the courage. Whatever that step looks like, that next step, God, give us the courage to take that step. Knowing that we're not taking that step alone, God, but the creator of the universe has our back. And Lord, as a church, we get to take these steps together. God, fill heaven with parties. God, put us in places and situations where we can share the hope that we have in you. We give you all the glory, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.